Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. Today, I want to speak about a very important index in the Christian life. And uh, it is the glory or the power of preparation. I want to teach you to understand the power or the glory of preparation. Because preparation is one of the most fundamental laws of the spirit. I know that if you have been following this ministry for some time, you would design that I have placed most of my emphasis on defining some of the laws of the spirit. Because if you learn to align yourself to the laws of the spirit. It's amazing how the way of life will favor you. It's amazing how things will start working together for good. Yes, you love God, but you are called according to his purposes. See? And these laws are accorded to his purposes. When God purposes a thing, he purposes it under particular laws, under particular principles and patterns. And if by God you can see those things and align yourself in those things, then it's amazing what God will or can do in your life. Somebody shout amen. amen. What is the end of our Christian life? If I could take you back to the end of your life, you probably, some of you listening to me have 10 years. Some of you have 20 years. Some of you have 30 years. Some of you 50 years. Some of you 60 years to go. Some of you 100. Some of you 200. <laughs> Praise God. But whatever time you have on the earth, if I was to ask you a question, to think through and say, what is your expectation in the end of your walk? What do you want them to write on your grave? What do you want to be remembered of? What is the true end of a believer? Because we live in a world of shared deception. And this falsehood is not just outside the church. It is within the church in this thing called doctrine in how we present Jesus Christ and how we have been corrupted from the simplicity which is in Christ like the serpent beguiled Eve through the subtlety of his mind. And so we walk not after the truth as we ought, not because we don't want to, but because some of the things that were taught us are not right and they're true. And as I'm sharing, I want to help you understand some of those things. Or at least for the rest of my life and before, I have tried to emphasize some of these things as the Lord revealed them to me many, many years ago. In 1 Corinthians, the ninth chapter, the 24th verse, Paul says something fundamental. He says, Know ye not that they which run 
in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize? It's a question. And the next line says, so run that you may obtain. Run that you may obtain. He says, when people are in a race, they're all running with one intention, that they will win. That they will win. Praise God. And it tells you, because of that also, the attitude that a believer has to have in this race of salvation, in this course of salvation, is that you run that you may obtain. Or rather, you run that you might win. Or you run that you might succeed. Or you run that you might overcome. Or you run that you might triumph. Whatever you want to see it from the light you want to see it from. Our run is supposed to be of success. God has not called you to a life of survival. I refuse it every time I even think about it. That a Christian, there are Christians and believers across the world. Who are enduring through the life of salvation. They're enduring in sickness through the life of salvation. They're enduring in poverty through the life of, of salvation. They're enduring in testations that are not even in line and in the will of God concerning their lives. They're enduring through witchcraft. They're enduring from one job to another, from loss to loss. They're enduring in poverty. And some say, you know, as long as I make it in heaven, I don't care. Oh no, you should care. You should care. Why? Because God by Paul has told us that we are supposed to run to win. Praise the Lord. We are supposed to run to obtain. We are supposed to run to receive not a prize, but the prize. In other words, there is an expectation of God concerning every believer and how they should run. Refuse to run less. Tell your neighbor, refuse to run less. Refuse to run less. Somebody shout Hallelujah. And so in the mind of winning, there are laws, there are principles, you see, there are patterns. That is why in the next verses later, in that very scripture, he says, every man that striveth for mastery, the Bible says it's tempered in all things, but now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, and we do it to obtain an incorruptible crown. But whether they do it in the world for a corruptible crown, and we in God do it for an incorruptible crown, the point is still we must be tempered in all things, we must be patterned. Or principled in the things of the spirit. Somebody shout hallelujah. And so because of that then, some of these things are important. When we talk about preparation. Well, it's easy if somebody says, yeah, I think I understand what preparation is. Or perhaps all of us, by language, human language, understand what preparation is. But I want to explain that law, that principle, deeply in God. And help you understand how to prepare in God. Because there is such a preparation that is not aligned to the will and purposes of God. There is such a preparation that is after the wisdom of this world. And the Bible says, and that kind of preparation is brought to nothing. Because that's the wisdom of this world. It's always brought to nothingness. Something kills it. Something frustrates it. Something shows it up as not enough or wanting. Something weighs it spiritually and finds it in the wanting. But there is a wisdom of God in how preparation is done or how the preparation of the Spirit should be and the power that comes with knowing how to prepare. Praise the Lord. And as I take you through this journey, I know that your eyes are going to be opened to many things. If you believe it, shout amen. amen. Now, 
you have to firstly understand God by nature. All right? You must firstly understand God by nature. That our God is actually a God of preparation. It's in his nature to prepare for you. It's in his nature to go before you. It's in the nature of our Father to set things up for us before we enter into those things. That's the way he creates. That's the way he builds. That's the way he promotes. That's the way he establishes. That's the way he instructs. That's the way he aligns. That's the way he underguards. It's just the way of God to prepare for you. It's in his nature and principle to prepare for mankind. Look at the creation story. You see, in the beginning, the earth was without form or void. And the Bible says, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the spirit of the Lord was hovering over the face of the deep. You see, God didn't create man in that confusion. No, he prepared a world for man. Separated the land from the seas, separated the darkness from the light, made day, made night, did all those kinds of things. And after creating the earth as it is, he went and made a garden for man. And man was not created to come in and wait for a fruit to grow. No, the garden was created. All manner of fruit was put in that garden. And then the Bible says he placed man into the garden. Then he said, you shall eat of every tree in the garden, but not the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That means every tree had fruit when man appeared in the garden. Man was born into a realm of fruitfulness. Somebody shout hallelujah. Man was born into a realm of abundance. Man was born into a realm of provision. Man was born into a realm of favored season continually. You know, there were no seasons in Eden where there was a scarcity of fruit. Man was born in a realm of rest. So God prepares for man everything that man will ever need. And then he puts Adam and Eve in that garden when everything is prepared. Because that's just the way he works. There is nothing. In the world for a believer that God has not made ready. You just need to know how to make yourself ready for what God has made ready for you. In Ephesians, the second chapter, the 10th verse, if you read from the Amplified Version, he says, for we are God's own handiwork, his workmanship, recreated, the Bible says, in Christ Jesus, we are born anew, he says, that we may do those things or those works which God predestined or planned beforehand for us. And the Bible says, taking parts which he prepared, taking parts which he prepared ahead of time, that we should not, might not, will not, could, that we should walk in them living the good life. He didn't say living the ugly life, living the survival mode life. No, living the struggling life. No, living the enduring life. Uh-uh. He said living the good life, which, listen, he prearranged and made ready for us to live. God has ordained a beautiful life for you. It's just waiting for you to live. So, a good life is not an option. Living a good life is not a prayer. It's not something, oh God, give me a good life. I'm tired of living a bad life. No, that's a bad prayer. That's not you understanding who God is and what he has done for you. Oh, I wish somebody can get this. 
I wish somebody can really allow this thing to enter your life. He has made a fall these things and prearranged them for you. He arranged your business. He arranged your ministry. He arranged your career. He arranged your marriage. He arranged your children. He arranged your grandchildren. He arranged everything that concerns your life. It's prearranged. It's in order. And all you have to do is to walk in them. But you need to know how to walk in them. And that is the power of preparation. You need to know how to align yourself to what's already available for you. Do you know there are people who think that their problem is poverty? Believers? Do you know that there are believers in the world who still think their problem is sickness? Do you know there are many believers who still think their problem is strife and struggle and witchcraft and all these kinds of things because they do not live from heaven to earth. So they don't understand that he has given you everything that pertains to life and godliness. He has blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. It's all prearranged and ready for you to enter. But you see, that prearranged experience, now let me say this, but this is for the mature. That prearranged experience has no limitation of boundary as though to imply that this is as far as you'll go according to what I've arranged for you. Because if you understand that prearrangement, you'll understand that it is subject to the law of liberty. That prearranged life for you is to take you to the place of true liberty, not in the boundaries and the confines of this is how far you will or can go, but in the confines of whatsoever you shall ask when you pray. In the confines of all things are possible to him that believes. But you need to enter that liberty. You need to enter that liberty. The liberty of the new birth is the glory of access. The power to be able to access. I tell people, it doesn't matter if you're a hundred million dollars rich. If you cannot access the next dollar in the spirit realm, you are already disqualified. That's the beginning of your downfall. There is a man with nothing on his account, but he knows how to speak to the next dollar. That man is better because it means that the next days, the next periods of life, the next eons are still responsive to that man's dream or vision. Somebody shout amen. amen. Shout amen. Because I've said once this or twice before, that there comes a time where in certain eon or ages to come, where even a hundred million dollars is nothing. Is nothing. God doesn't need to take away from you. I've said that before. He only needs to raise a state or a situation one day where your dollar, your hundred million dollars is nothing. He can give every man on the face of the earth more. Somebody shout Amen. And that's the essence of value. That's the law of exchange. You need to know how to be available to God, to be relevant in the time that you're in. That you can command the things that must be commanded and have the best there is in the world. He says, whether things present or things to come, he says, all are yours. And ye are Christ's. Whether physical or spiritual, they're yours. Somebody shout amen. Shout glory to God. So, in that understanding of this liberty, 
in that understanding of the grace to access, and then growing into the place of access, that liberty, that's when the good life begins. That's God's arrangement for you to walk in liberty, to walk free. Are you free enough to build a ministry you want to build? Are you free enough to have the marriage you want to have? Are you free enough to have the health you need in your body? Are you free enough to have the career that you want? Are you free enough to run the business that you need or want or dream about? Are you free enough to stand in any place in the world where with you feel you're called for? If you have reached that place in life, then you're truly free. You're truly free. Somebody shout hallelujah. If you can get to a point where you can serve God the way you want to serve him, then you are free. You're truly free. Somebody shout amen. So God prepares the children, his people, every now and then. It has been an experience. If you go back through time and ages, that he has been a God preparing for man. Things have been set for man before man entered them. When we look at, uh, when he's talking about how then Moses is leading the children of Israel from Egypt all through uh, the wilderness into the promised land. In Exodus, the 23rd chapter, the 20th verse, he says, Behold, I send an angel before thee to keep thee in the way and to bring thee into the place I have prepared. You see? Not only has he prepared a place for the children of Israel, but he has sent an angel before them to keep them in the way and to bring them in the place God has prepared for them. Again, I say, the problem is not the things that God has made ready or prepared for you. The issue is, are you prepared for them? Are you aligned to the things that are available for you? Imagine in the days of Noah. Do you know that it needed too much or required so much faith in what Noah had to preserve the next posterity of the human race? The Bible says in Hebrews, the 11th chapter, the 7th verse, the Bible says that by faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not yet seen or not seen yet. You know, God warned him of things not seen yet. The Bible says that he moved with fear and prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. So you see that by faith, Noah was able to prepare him. When God appears to him and tells him, you know, the world is going to be sunk in water. Do you know that there was no really uh, physical, spectacular experience in the visitation of Noah? We don't see that God appeared in some sort of spectacular vision. For him to hear. What people don't see. Is that when the Bible says. God said unto Noah. The end of the flesh is come before me. People think that God appeared in some sort of picture. That was enough for Noah to say. This is God in appearance. You see that? It would not be faith then. It would not be faith. No. This man just woke up and felt something in there. And in there, a certain voice spoke something. And it was not as audible as I'm speaking. That's why it's by faith. It was a substance of things hoped for. It was an evidence 
of something that he could not see with his physical eye. Somebody shout hallelujah. So by faith, he's walking by faith and somehow he has this, oh well, in this dispensation you'd call it a feeling, a hunch, a tingle. See, inside there that something is coming. See? And then by faith, the Bible says he prepared an ark. So we see God even helping men to prepare. And men preparing because God has spoken. Look at Isaiah. The sixth chapter in the fifth verse. Remember in the year King Uzziah died. Isaiah saw the Lord. That, that's a time of reference in human history. Okay? It's not that Uzziah has to die for a man to see God. I've had a guy one time preach. Your Uzziah has to die. And then you will see God. No, no, no. In the year King Uzziah died was just a place of reference in human history. Right? So he sees the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. So he's walking in the spirit. And then on the fifth verse, when he has seen the majesty of God, he says, Woe unto me, for I am undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a life call in his hand, which he had taken with the tongues from off the altar, and he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin is purged. And then he hears the voice saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And then he says, Here I am, send me, Lord. The sending of this man had a precedence, and the precedence of that was the preparation with which he had to be cleansed of his tongue. His lip was unclean. So he says, so an angel comes with life calls, puts it on his lips and tells him, you know what? Your iniquity has been taken away and your sin has been purged. In the readiness of that preparation, then the voice comes, whom shall we send? The sending did not precede the preparation of God. The preparation of God preceded the sending or the commissioning of God. And the calling of God, mark this, is not the commissioning of God. Some of you think that because God called you, therefore he has sent you or commissioned you. Uh Uh-uh. There is a place of preparation. Somebody shout hallelujah. There is a place of preparation. The only challenge is that many times, if you are not endowed by the grace and spirit of revelation, you are indifferent and blind to the instructions that are silent in scripture. You know, in the word, there are silent instructions. Because the things you'll not find directly written in Proverbs or they're not commanded directly for you as to quote them directly. But they would require the wisdom of God for your interpretation. But that's a purged conscience. That's a contemplative spirit. That's a wise heart. You see? Why Solomon asks for a wise and an understanding heart. I'll give you an example. We know when God instructs the church in the book of Acts that you shall tarry in Jerusalem until the spirit is come. Remember? And it says, and when that happens, he says, you shall be my witnesses in both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the world. It's clear that there were to be witnesses in Jerusalem where the spirit began with in Judea, in Samaria, and the utmost parts of the world. But when you read the book of Acts, you see that almost everyone which was endowed with the Spirit in Jerusalem went to Antioch. You see? 
went to Antioch. Even the prophets that were filled by the Holy Ghost in Jerusalem, they all went to Antioch. Antioch is a silent instruction. But in Antioch, the Bible says there was much teaching. And the Bible says, and that is where they were first called Christians. They are called Christian. Oh, they are like the Christ we had and saw when he walked the world those days before. The reason why they started to look like Christ was because they were doing the ways and acts and works of Christ. And that began at Antioch. Even the apostles, all these guys, you find them lodging in the area of Antioch because there was much teaching. Why? It was relevant for that preparation before they went to Judea. Before they went to Samaria. Before they went to the uttermost parts of the world. That's a silent instruction. But it is in scripture. Now what we see today is folk who skip Jerusalem and go straight into Judea. Go to Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world. But they are not Christian. Did you get it? They're not Christ-like. They're not yet formed and shaped into the image and form by teaching. That is why we emphasize the teaching of Christ. If you just say, oh, you know, me, I just want to go to the man of God to tell me what's wrong with me. Oh, I want to go to the apostle. Let me seek for the prophet. When are you ever going to allow Christ to live in you? To speak to you. Paul says in Galatians 4, 19, My spiritual children, for whom I travail in birth again, until God gives you a prophetic message. Uh-uh. Until Christ be formed in you. That's the travail of the apostolic. That Christ is formed in a man. If he is formed in a man, if he's feeling sick, he knows what to do to his body. Because he knows what to do. You see, he knows what to do in his family. He knows what to do in his business. He knows what to do in his career. He knows what to do in his ministry because Christ is formed. So the silent instruction there was that the necessity for them which are filled with the Holy Ghost to be prepared in the teaching or instruction in the doctrine of Christ. And the Bible says in Antioch was much teaching. Was much teaching. Somebody shout amen. amen. I'm going a bit deeper here. So God is the God of preparation. He had to cleanse the lips of a man. But this is something that I discovered. It's also possible to frustrate the will of preparation on your life, even when God is available to help you in that preparation. Because remember, God is available to help you in that preparation. That's why the angel was sent for the children of Israel to keep them in the way. You see, there are principles that are necessary for the preparation of a man. You need to know. There are things that God has to apply in your life to prepare you for what he has already prepared you for. And I said, it's possible for you to frustrate it. One example, our father Moses. Moses is raised in one of the most remarkable ways any man would be raised. And on a floating basket, that whose life was sold after by Satan, landed in the household of them which sought him and is raised in that house as a son of the daughter of Pharaoh. He's raised in the wisdom and ways of Egypt. And when he's full of age, he beholds Christ. He has a vision of Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible says, by faith, when he was full of age, he refused to be called the son 
of the daughter of Pharaoh. He had matured. He refused. He forsook Egypt. He refused to be called anything Egyptian because the Bible says he esteemed the reproach of Christ's greater riches than the treasures in Egypt for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. That was a vision. He had a vision of Christ. When he has a vision of Christ, Moses, he understands, I think I have a calling. And his work now is that he has to deliver the children of Israel from the hand of Pharaoh. What Moses was supposed to do was to ask God, how am I going to be prepared for this work? He was supposed to yield to the will of God after the zeal had come for him to submit enough to be prepared such that when he comes to do it, he knows what to do. What happens? Out of anger, he finds an Egyptian teasing a Jew and he kills these Egyptians, slays them, and then buries him in the sand. He buries him in the sand. He's angry. That's what the Bible says. <laughs> Paul says, I have a certain pain for my brethren, the Jews. For I bear them a record that they have a zeal, but not according to knowledge. They have a zeal, but not according to knowledge. God was not intending to deliver the children of Israel from the hand of Pharaoh by slaying a man, one man. That was not the intention. God's intention of delivering the children of Israel from the hand of Egyptian did not even need a Jew to raise one sword. One sword. But Moses did not know the way then of God to understand what he was to do. So what does he do? He slew an Egyptian and hid him in the sun. And because it's out of the order, <laughs> Satan took advantage of that. A certain man had seen Moses. And so one time when a contention breaks out, he tells him, hey, do you want to kill me and bury me in the sun like you did a certain fellow? That means we saw you. A wrath was kindled in Egypt and from then on the life of Moses was sought. He had to run into the wilderness. And guess what? For 40 years, God never spoke to Moses. 40. For 40 years, God never spoke to Moses. God speaks to Moses. In fact, later we understand by scripture. Not even because Moses is ready. But because the time had come for the children of Israel to be redeemed. Moses was not ready. God has to appear him through a burning bush. The fire was burning a bush, but it was not consuming it. And then he introduces himself, take off your shoes for the, where you're standing is holy ground. And the questions the man is asking, you can see he has not fully understood God. How will they believe me? Who are you? If I tell them they've sent me, who will I send them I sent me? Oh, what is the sign? Oh, put your hand under your robe. Take it out. It's leprous. And then put it down. Oh, and then it's healed. Oh my God. Okay, throw down your stick. He throws it down. It becomes a snake. And, oh, and, and then... Hold it up. It becomes a stick again. Oh, okay. Now I believe you. Send me. But I can't talk. Okay, okay. I'll get around. And I will. Un God had the ability, like he did in Isaiah's time, to just send an angel, put a call on this man's lips, and he starts speaking. But God knows, now this is for the mature, that even though this is my choice servant, he does not have the wisdom of language to communicate the things that must be communicated. I need the order of a man which has been prepared a certain way. 
to carry the articulation of the conviction of the man's heart. And he says, I have put your words in Aaron. Why? Because there's something in Aaron that can speak. And God just don't want to put it on him without the necessary preparation. Somebody shout hallelujah. And so what does he do? He says, you know, I've put your words in Aaron's mouth. He shall speak for you. He still has anger issues. Remember when he slain the man years ago? That anger didn't leave. There's nowhere in scripture that shows us this man was delivered of anger. And we, we see it later. He gets 300,000 and more people from Egypt. You can see. And in the middle of it, he tells God, I'm going to die. I don't know how to lead these people. God tells me, oh, you know what? Get 70 men and I'll get of your spirit and put it on 70 men and your burden shall be lighter. Moses was going to die because of a burden that was heavier for him to perform. And not because he could not, but he lacked the wisdom. Preparation. Preparation. See that? Yet, it was the time, and he was the available vessel for God. He was the exclusively anointed vessel for God. But he frustrated the will and purpose of God to prepare him when he went ahead to start executing what God had not instructed him into executing. He killed a man and buried him under the sand. So it's very possible to frustrate God's purpose Concerning your preparation. It's very possible. Shout hallelujah. And so we see him walking and living like that. We see a man of mistakes. Yet he is loved and he loves God. He's a man God is dealing with. But by God's grace later, he starts to understand God. But you see, this was a man who learned on the job. Yet he should have learned before the job. When God anoints David to be king. In 1 Samuel 16, I believe. He doesn't become king automatically. He goes to serve who? So, why? Because God is preparing this fellow. You see that? God is preparing this man. He's making a king out of him. And he has to teach him how to serve the office. He has to learn to serve the office, even though he has the anointing of the king. Because the king's anointing and the anointing on the office are two different anointings. Saul retained the anointing of the office even though David had taken the anointing of the king. And he had to learn how to serve the office. You see that? When Moses gets the zeal to serve the children of Israel, his heart was right. But because he did not wait on God for preparation, he went his own way. And he imported or exported certain things with him. He carried these things with him. And we see later in his old age, that old demon of anger still comes back. The children of Israel stir him up for water. And God tells him, speak to the rock. And instead, he smites the rock out of anger. God takes him up on the mountain and tells him, look, that is where the promised land is. But your assignment has ended now. Because something in you was not prepared for this. It was not in God's infinite plan for Joshua to lead the children of Israel into the promised land. It was Moses' calling. He had told him to lead them to the promised land. But because he was not ready enough, certain things provoked his character to set himself against the will and purpose of God. And God takes him to a mountain, see, 
but you're not going to enter there. So Joshua then has to inherit a responsibility that is not prior in the plan of God because the gifting and calling of God is without repentance, but the assignment is, if you mess it up, God will raise another. So one will wonder, what has Joshua got to do? Joshua has got to know how both to take on and carry what his old man has not finished, but also finish his own course. That's a hard one. And so we're left with the questions, did actually Joshua finish? Because he was left with more than he could handle. And it is possible for God to give you more than original because you are available. There are places in the spirit where God just seeks a man. Isaiah was not God's choice. No, he just bumped into a conversation where God wanted to choose. And he says, whom shall we send? And the fellow availed himself and said, send me, Lord. If Isaiah had not done it, God was going to look for a man to send. Somebody shout, amen. Amen. And so it's possible to frustrate a call of preparation on your life. Our father Moses went through that. He doesn't sometimes even take the instruction of God seriously. God tells him, circumcise the boys. He doesn't. He's almost dead. Zipporah has to get this boy and cut off the foreskin to save the man of God's life, who God has actually called. Because he's God's choice. The heart is right, but he's not prepared. And that is why you see God dealing with him in the spaces of humility later. Because the Bible says the Lord prepares the heart of the humble. That's what Proverbs says. But by the time he's in there, he has had a lot of drama in his life. He's had a lot of trouble in his life. And so he became the man which is being prepared on the journey. And then we, some people, conclude and have put it in doctrine that you have to walk in the journey as God is preparing you. Uh uh-uh, uh, uh uh, uh uh. Look at the man Jesus. Jesus did not learn on the job, he didn't learn on the job. 12 years, he goes in the temple as it was the culture of a 12-year-old being mature as a rites of passage. He's debating scripture. From the age 12, we never hear any event or affair concerning his life until the time he's matured. About 18 years of space, nothing is spoken of the master, but God is preparing this man as the child. The Bible says in there, what we have is he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor With God and man, that's all that happened. He grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. 18 years of his life. And look at what happened when he had three years of ministry. He changed the whole world because he was prepared right. There are people who are being prepared in the process. There are people who prepared before. Do you know, I started a church many years ago. Some people don't even know that story. Three years I ran into it. And I get this experience and the Lord shows me. I was anointed, as gifted, the lame were walking, the blind were seeing, I was prophesying. In fact, in my earlier years of ministry, I was more of a prophetic person than I was a teacher. And the church was growing and my name was being mentioned in places that matter. And I have this experience and God tells me, you know what? Even though you're gifted, you're not prepared. Even though you're gifted, you're not prepared. I got that church, got a man of God, woman of God. There were chairs, there was equipment, there was everything. And I handed over and I told him, you know what? Take over that responsibility. 
I need to sort a few things. I was not fallen. I did not have a scandal. I was not struggling with anything in my life or my body. But my spirit was not ready for the responsibility that God had called me when I saw the vision of the call of God, the assignment of God concerning my life. And it took me another 10 years or so. And when I was ready, I knew that I was ready. I knew that I was ready. I knew that I was ready. Somebody shout amen. Amen. Shout hallelujah. Hallelujah. There are three things that I want to give you to help you prepare. It would seem normal, but they're not. They're deep. Three things to help you prepare for what God has called you to do for the course and purpose of your life, the assignment of the hour. Three things. Number one, count your cost. Count your cost. How much is it really going to cost you? How much is it really going to cost you? Catherine Coleman, I love what she said. It will cost you everything. But count the cost first. In Luke, the 14th chapter, the 20th verse, it says, For which of you intending to build a tower, to build a ministry, to run a marriage, to run a business, which of you sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he hath sufficient to finish it? This is where you have the true weight of the Spirit concerning the abilities in you to finish what God has given you to do. And these abilities are defined in the realm of understanding. Until enough understanding is on you. Some of you entered things you actually did not have the understanding for. You entered marriage, but you really didn't understand marriage. You entered business, but you really didn't understand business. You entered ministry, but you really did not understand ministry. You assume you did, but the results of it are showing that you actually did not understand. Did you count the cost? In other words, did you try to find out what it takes? It's one thing to say, oh, the sufficiency is not of us, but it's of God which has made us able ministers of the covenant. And that is true. But could you please define those abilities Because that's a generic statement. But could you define those abilities? That's the counting of the cost. And he continues to say, least happily, after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it, all that behold it, begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able. He entered a marriage and it didn't work. She entered a business and it did not work. He entered a ministry. Look at what the church is looking like. And some of you could justify it. Oh, you know, God didn't call me that way. Or, you know, this is how church is supposed to be like. But in your heart, you know God's vision of church or the ministry. And you know, if you had the right estimation of yourself, you'd know that you're actually so far from God's radar. You're so far. So you learn to count that cost. In 31, he says, Oh, what king going to make war against another king sitteth not first and consulteth whether he's able with 10,000 to meet him that cometh against with him with 20,000. The cost has to be counted. Get to know what it takes. It is part of the preparation. It is not the preparation, but it is the beginning of your preparation. What is it going to cost you? 
to be the deepest minister in the world? What is it going to cost you to be the most influential evangelist in the world? What is it going to cost you to be the richest man in the world? What is it going to cost you to be the most successful engineer in the world, the most successful doctor in the world? What is it going to cost you to be the most influential individual in the world in the grace God has called you? If you don't have that answer, then you're not prepared. It doesn't matter how gifted you are. It doesn't matter how talented you are. It doesn't matter how skilled you are. There are things in the peripheral. They are not in our skill and talent and gifting, but they do really make us, for example, experiences. Experiences. Either physical or spiritual. But they make us. Somebody shout amen. The second thing in 2 Timothy, the second Chapter, the 15th verse, if you read from the Amplified, that's the second thing you must do. 2 Timothy, the second chapter, the 15th verse. It says, study and be eager. I want you to underline that. Study and be eager and do your uttermost to present yourself to God approved, tested by trial. A workman, the Bible says, who has no cause to be ashamed, correctly analyzing and accurately dividing or rightly handling and skillfully teaching the word of truth. You will not be a success in this world, at least from the vision and idea of God and not of the world which is brought to nothing or has um, a useless end of interpretation. If you want to walk the God idea of success, the God idea of good, And the definitive end, by God, you must know how to study the word. To study the word. To give yourself, he said, to be eager for the word. To do your utmost, to present yourself approved. And he says, in this approval, you're going to be tested. Somebody shout hallelujah. How do you respond by the word in the trials that come your way. Remember in the wilderness, the wilderness experiences, I've always told you, God kills you, God teaches you, but he tries you into maturity. What do you do when this happens? Are you going to align yourself to the will of the word? Oh yes, I have a lot of debt. Quote in court, somebody says, I have a lot of debt, but the word of God requires that I take my tithes and offerings in the church. Will you do it? Are you a doer of the thing that you study? That's just one area. And so you're saying you want to be the richest man in the world, but you're not even faithful with a tenth. Yet in the New Testament, we're beyond that. See? We're even beyond that. We're more than that. We give more than that. You're saying you want to be the most successful evangelist in the world, and you're not a reader of the word. You must be not only a reader, but an eager searcher of truth. When it comes to the word, you must be eager. You must have a zeal. You must be able to present yourself to God approved because God wants to use you learned. God wants to use you taught. God wants to use you educated. The world is looking for professionals who are educated. Not folk whose minds are not educated, regardless of how you're educated, but education in the world somehow earns a certain right and merit for somebody to entrust you. What makes you think that God doesn't need to educate you somehow? 
He might not educate you in the way of the world, but there's some sort of education when it comes to the things of the Spirit. And God is calling you to not only say, oh, I'm going to read the Word, but He's saying, could you have a sort of eagerness to study the Word? Study the Word like somebody on a mission. Study the Word like a woman with a calling. Study the Word like a man with a destiny. Invest time in the world like someone who is going so far. Read it like you want to be the biggest teacher. Study it like you want to be the deepest preacher. Study the Hebrew of it. Go into it and go dissect it and subtract. Go in, dig inside like you have to because you are believing God for your best. And you might not be a teacher but a businessman. Still he says, study the word. Because there is nothing that you're looking for in business that is not already written in scripture. All the principles of success are in the word. For example, in Proverbs, he gives an example of a man's hand that is slack. And what that does to a man, when you actually study the deeper meaning there of slackness, it could mean either careless, the people who have a careless hand. That they can't even hold anything. They'll tear it, they'll break it. A slack hand. The people who have an idle hand. The people who have a slothful hand. All of that is in the spirit of slackness. And just you know, if you're slack, you're going to turn to poverty and destruction. You see? But it says, but a diligent spirit or a diligent hand makes rich. Makes rich. That's an example. You cannot say that you want to be wealthy according to the principle imparted on God and you've not understood the principles and make you wealthy. He has given you one example. He becomes poor. Who works with a slack and an idle hand? See that? Those are signs of a poor hand. That's one example. There are instances where he'll tell you when wealth increases, do not put or set your mind on it. He's teaching the man to be the richest man there is. It's already in scripture. You want to be a successful person? You want to be a rich person? Be as rich all you care. There is nothing wrong with being the most prosperous person in the world. In fact, the Lord wants you to be the head and not the tail above and not beneath. But he says, get revelation in this because this is part of your preparation. So when I get this, when I have this one day, I know how to respond. We've seen people who are destroyed in the time of their visitation. Jeremiah 10, 15 says, For they are vanity and works of error, for they perish in the time of their visitation. When they are visited by God, when they have experiences, when their stars shine and they influence and change and start to be favored with the world and they get the attention of the world, they start to be destroyed. And they start perishing. In that time when they're being elevated, in the time when they're being visited in the time when they're being exposed to the world, in the time when they're favored most, that's where their destruction comes near. And they're exposed and they're like, oh, this young man did not understand how he was supposed to carry himself when wealth comes, when glory comes, when influence comes, when power comes, when responsibility comes. He was not prepared. Somebody shout, amen. Lastly, but not least, understand, choose, and fight your wars wisely. Understand your wars, choose your wars, and fight your wars wisely. Understand your wars, choose them, and fight them wisely. For example, what is our war? What is the war of the Christian? What is our true war? What is the true labor of Christianity? Who is our enemy? People, 
Pastors, prophets, false pastors, false preachers. Who is our war? What is our war? Who are we fighting? The devil. These things are fundamental. And how do we fight? He has given us how we fight. By the word. With the word. It is the sword. It is the sword of truth. The word of God is sharper than a double-edged sword. It's the only offensive weapon on the word. On the armor of God. It's the only offensive one. The shields are of faith and belts. But the sword. Truth. It's the word of God. It's the remor of God. You understand? You must know your real war. You must know what you're really fighting and how to fight it. And choose. Sometimes it is to fight right, not to fight. The Bible says in 2 Timothy, the second chapter, the fourth verse, he says, no man, listen, that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And if a man also strive, verse 5, for master is, yet he is not crowned except he strive lawfully. He has given us a very, very powerful principle. When you are a soldier of God, you don't entangle yourself or war yourself with the things or affairs of this life. What are you really fighting for? Why is one pastor fighting another pastor? Why is one preacher fighting another preacher? Why is one bishop fighting another prophet? Why is one evangelist fighting another apostle? Why is one apostle fighting a certain preacher? Have you asked yourself why I've never mentioned the name of a man on my altar? Because I choose my wars wisely. I know who I'm fighting. I haven't noticed why I've never mentioned the ministry on the altar. Because I know my wars. I know how to choose them. I know who to fight and how to fight. Our weapons are not carnal. But they're mighty in Christ. They pull down strongholds. They cast down imaginations. They break everything that exalts itself against our knowledge of Christ. They bring to captivity all thoughts to the obedience of Christ. That... When all obedience is coming, there is a readiness, the Bible says, to revenge all disobedience. What is your war? What are you really fighting for? If we are ministers of the gospel, he's building his church so the gates of hell will not prevail because we are on the gates of hell trying to depopulate it and bring in all manner of people. We want to win souls. We want to do everything to bring souls in. I want to preach to get every soul, every last soul into the kingdom. It doesn't matter how, as long as it is true and it's aligned to the will and heart of the Father, I want to bring in as many. That is our war. That is what God has called us to do. Why would I look for a man who is bringing souls into fighting, regardless of his mistakes? Let God deal with him. There's a reason why he's still bringing them in. God can kill him tomorrow. But there's a reason why God has preserved his life. Who am I? The Bible says to judge another man's servant. Who am I? He says, for if that man falleth, he falleth before his master. And if he standeth, he standeth before his master. I'm not his master. And he says, for God, the Bible says, is able to make him stand, for he will hold him up. It's the intention of God to even get the craziest minister to be holding up by God to the end that the harvest might become more and more plenteous. Remember, the harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. The laborers are few. 
What is your war? What are you really fighting? When you get into your workplace, what is your real war? Why would you badmouth another sister because you want to be promoted? Is that how promotion comes? Promotions come from neither east nor west, but they come from God. He pulls one down and then puts up the other. It's God to pull down, not you. What is your war? What's your real war? What makes you think that because you badmouth somebody, you're going to be a success? What makes you think because you're going to corrupt two, three, or four people? How do you even have a conscience to earn things by the wrong principle and pattern? Understand your woes and choose them. What is your woe? Your woe is of the mind. You'll help your body be held in submission. You will know how to dream and align your psyche to the will and purposes of God. Your meditations will be right because you know where your woe is for yourself. And when it extends now for your faith to go and to others or to even deal with those that hate you or have set themselves against you, you know how to fight. Exodus 14, 14. For you shall hold your peace and the Lord shall fight for you. You see that? You know your wars because you know why? It's possible to be entangled with the affairs of this life and then lose the real war. Lose the vision. Lose the vision. It's part of the process to exercise ourselves to choose our wars wisely. To understand our wars wisely. It says that when you're up there one day and you're shining, nothing can pull you down. Nothing can pull you down. Nothing can pull you down. I've seen men whose lives and ministries have been destroyed because at the point when they were supposed to be fathers, they became bastards, not even sons. They went even below the level of a son and became bastards. I've seen men in the time when they ought to be fathers, they became instructors. Because they chose the wrong war. They fought the wrong way. They fought the wrong way. I've seen people who have disqualified themselves because of anger. Because of unforgiveness. Because of hatred. They don't even know how to fight the right way. And you could err at the point when your star is at its brightest. Because a certain character has not dealt with you. Choose your wars wisely. In Jesus' name. Come on, speak to God. Speak to God. You take me. You mold me. You use me. You feel me. Because I give a life to the porter's head. You call me. You guide me. You lead me. You walk beside me. Because I get my life to the border's hand. Tell me quiet. Take me, Lord. Come on, pray. You mold me, Lord. You use me, Lord. You feel me, Lord. Because I give my life to you. Come on, speak in other tongues. You call me, Lord. 
Lord, you guide me, Lord. Won't you lead me, Lord? Be walk beside me, cause I give my life to This is my prayer for you. That if there be any way you have frustrated the will and purpose, or purpose of God, concerning your preparation for the things that he has prepared you for, may he have mercy on you and help you from where you are to turn and align yourself to where you should be. May God prepare you for the journey ahead of you, for the days ahead of you, for the years ahead of you. May he prepare your body. May he prepare your spirit. May he prepare your soul. May they be presented before God perfect to the day of Christ. May God use you mightily in this world. May you never have a scandal. May you never be preoccupied with the affairs of this world. May you never carry reproach in the mighty name of Jesus. And that is regardless of what they will think or people will assume concerning you. But may your heart be true and conviction before God. And when you fall, may you rise up quickly, dust yourself and keep on the course that God has called you for. May you be a mighty one in the earth. May you never struggle or strive with men. May every place you step favor you. And may the winds of peace blow with you. May you always walk before open doors. And may you find favor even from uncommon places. I decree that the days ahead of you are bright. And that they are great. And that many things will be said of thee, O Zion, city of God. And that many testimonies and mentions will be made concerning your life. Your name will be known across the world. You will not be a normal person. If you believe it, I want you to shout on the top of your lungs and amen. Glory to God. If you're sick in your body, be healed. If you're bound, be set free right now in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. You're free. You're free. You're free. You're free. You're free. You're free in Jesus' name. If you have never given your life to Christ, I want to give you an opportunity to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You just need to repeat this as after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you because you shed your blood for me and was raised for my glory. Tonight, I receive you as my personal Lord and Savior. Amen. The message you have just heard was brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number 041-466-4291 or email us at fenerocompala at gmail.com. You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at Uma Multipurpose Hall from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. You can also catch the live stream at livestream.com slash Fenero. Fenero, make manifest.